welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 14 of the Afro Excursionary Podcast. I am your host, Lionel Harris. On this episode, I am taking you guys to the El Loco Mexican Restaurant on Madison Avenue here in Albany. A few weeks ago, my wife Annette and I decided we'd have something for dinner. We'd take, you know, go out and have something to eat. We decided we didn't want Chinese, we didn't want any Italian or pasta related dishes. We decided on we'd have some, some Mexican and figured we'd go and give El Loco over there on Madison, we give them a shot. We get there probably around six o'clock. Usually that place is pretty, pretty packed and pretty crowded. But for that time of the night when we got there, it was a Friday night. Wasn't too bad. We were able to get in and, and get seated right away. And we were like, oh, cool. We're in. As we're there, we're getting situated. The gentleman comes over and goes, you know, hey, would you guys like to start off with some drinks? And he's reading us down the little bit of a drink menu that he had. And um, Annette goes, I think I'll have a sangria. And I go, hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to have one as well. So, of course, me being the, the wise guy like I like to be sometimes, I said to the guy, I go, hey, is that sangria any good? Is it really good? He's, oh, yeah, it's like really good, man. You know, we, we have this home house blend. It's, it's all homemade and this, that, and the other. And I'm going, yeah, all right, man. But, okay, I'm in. We order two um, glasses of the sangria. Time out for a research break. What I learned was sangria is not known or wasn't first developed or created or invented in Mexico. It's actually from Italy originally. Um, the storyline, historical storyline is that the Romans, those Romans, man, these guys. But anyway, the Romans started out with a form of sangria because back then the Italian, especially in Rome, the water system was really bad. A lot of bacteria, not very good tasting water. So what they would do to doctor up the water is they would add wine to it. And what wine would they add? They would add red or white, whatever wine they thought they could add to make it taste better to drink. So yes, it, it started in Italy. Of course, with people migrating, people migrated to Spain. And when they got to Spain, they started doing the same thing with the water in Spain. You know, back then, I guess they didn't have these, what do you call it, water treatment plants and all that good stuff, the, the chlorine and all that stuff to kill the bacteria and all the various germs and nasty tasting effects of water. They didn't have that stuff back then. So they added wine and, and other forms of alcohol to kill the bacteria and to make it taste better. In Spain, they added different elements to their version of it, different types of fruit, different types of herbs and stuff. And, you know, it made it different for Spain compared to Italy. But they both had their particular versions of a form of sangria. Now, in Spain... Sangria means sangre. I think that's how it's pronounced in Spanish. And sangre means red or blood. That's why it's called sangria originally. But then again, you can either have a white sangria, which is just white wine, or you can have a red, whatever your preference is. But that's the defining difference. And what ended up happening, what started happening was the Spanish, as they started venturing out and 
conquering the world. Think of, who was it? Columbus and the mother guys. I'm not going to even try to go historical and name all those other Spanish explorers. Was it Ponce de Leon and Magellan and those kind of guys? I don't know if those guys were Italy, Italian or Spanish. But um, anyway, as they started migrating around the globe and going to the different Americas, Latin America, South America, North America, they started dropping off different versions of sangria. History again says that in the United States, though, it really became popular in, at the 1954 World's Fair. There was a booth at the World's Fair that was showcasing different things from Spain, and one of the items that were showcased was sangria, and it started to take off. That's the historical lineage of sangria. Just, you know, thought I'd give you a little bit of an educational. Moving on, we get that. And the next thing you know, we're, we're situated. And the door opens up and this couple comes in. And as they come in, they are walking past us and they get seated towards the back of the restaurant. So based on how I was sitting, Annette could see over my shoulder. And she goes, oh, they got situated in the back. And I go, hmm, really? And it's incredibly warmer back there. Because, you know, we're again, we're up front. We didn't really complain about the seating. But up front there, every time the door opened up, you could feel that cold air. And it never fails. There's always somebody that comes to the door. And you know how people are talking. They have the door held open. And they're, they're talking to somebody behind them or whatever. And we're sitting there. And I'm like, yo, man, close that door. We can feel that cold air. Now, I didn't say that out loud. But I was thinking it. Those people get situated in the back, and I know it was warmer back there because I went to the bathroom back there and it was nice and warm back there. Did I have a thought initially? Mm, of course I had a little bit of a thought. I'm an Afro excursioner. I'm going to have a different lens on sometimes. Do I want to think there was any motivation behind that? Of course I don't want to think that. But I thought it briefly. Not enough to ruin the night, but just enough to say, hmm... Anyway, as the story goes on, we get our chips and salsa. You know how that's always a traditional when you go to these kind of places like Chili's. And I'll get back to that in a minute. But we get our, our chips and salsa. And the woman says, oh, over there by the wall, there's another salsa station. And there's other sauces over there that are hot, mild, and like inferno, crazy hot sauces over there. And of course, I had to go grab a few of those just to check them out. We get that. We're indulging into that. It's all good. Our server comes over and says, hey, are you guys ready to place an order? And we looked at the server. Annette and I both looked and you know, after a while, you become telepathic because we're looking at each other as we're looking at her. And we go, yeah, we're ready. And, you know, Annette orders a chicken and bean burrito, chicken and rice, I'm sorry. I order a chicken and portobello mushroom quesadilla takes our order but as she walks away we're both going okay what's up with that mask had a mask on i'm not against the whole masking thing you know with covid and all the craziness that's still around out here i was like ah you know i can get that now we didn't have a mask on because as you get boosted up you start having that false sense of security that yeah, i don't need a mask right now it's not mandated i'm good i got boosted i got vaxxed i'm good so, I, you know, again, I wasn't thinking much of it, the fact that she had the mask on, but what threw us both was the fact that her mask was below her nose. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I see people with their mask on and I see it below their nose, I start thinking thoughts. I start thinking thoughts along the lines of tissue and Kleenex and runny noses. And anyway, didn't let that keep us from still ordering our meal. We went ahead and ordered, but it would be wrong to say that every time we would see her after that, when she was, you know, floating around the restaurant, we would always, we'd always look at each other and go, mm, what's up with that mask? Either rock it all the way on or, or take it off or something, because that just looks kind of crazy. <laughs> anyway, our food shows up and it was quick. It was good. It was hot, you know, and another research moment. I learned that there is a difference between true, authentic and what is considered Tex-Mex food. Now, authentic Mexican food is corn-based in any culture, whatever the predominant vegetable or whatever the predominant is for that area of the culture or the region. And in Mexico, corn is the predominant. So a lot of the food derivatives from Mexican food is corn-based. So you're thinking of burritos, you're thinking tacos, you're thinking enchiladas and tamales and quesadillas, that's all corn-based. Now, the difference between authentic Mexican and Tex-Mex, I learned, is that Tex-Mex food, think chilies, think chipotle, think, what's the main guy there? Think of Taco Bell. Those are all considered Tex-Mex. Now, the differences between the two is, again, Mexico, it's corn-based. Tex-Mex is flour-based. Flour-based tortillas, flour-based quesadillas, burritos, all the other good stuff. It's flour-based. The cheeses, Tex-Mex, yellow. Think cheddar, think Monterey Jack. Mexican, think white cheeses. Queso fresco, queso oaxaca. Now, queso oaxaca is not that popular, but think in the lines of mozzarella. That's the consistency of a queso oaxaca. Now, what I also learned was the reason why it's called Tex-Mex is because of the closeness of the border between Texas and Mexico. And what ended up happening was as the culture started to cross over, most people in Texas couldn't, wouldn't, didn't eat true, authentic Mexican food. For whatever reason, I'm not going to touch the reason, but whatever reason, they couldn't do it. So they started to doctor it up and Americanized it. And even the some of the Mexican restaurateurs and enterprising people started doctoring up their true, authentic Mexican food to satisfy that American base of people not able to eat true, authentic Mexican food. What a shame that is. You know, it's a shame that a lot of cultures have to subjugate what they really believe in to assimilate into the American society, so to speak. But I'm not going to go there and turn this kind of a podcast into that kind of a show. I just thought, again, I'd share a little bit of a research that I learned. So the next time you have a taste for Chipotle, the next time you have a taste for Taco Bell, I'll even throw chilies out there. Just know again that that is not true, authentic Mexican food. I'm not going to lie and say I don't eat that stuff because occasionally when I hear that bell ring, I'll go and get me some Taco Bell. I ain't going to act like I don't do it because I do, but I thought I'd share that. Food was very good. Portions were huge. My 
um, quesadilla was fully loaded. It was nice. It was melted cheese. And it had actually, um, I think it had Oaxaca because it was white cheese in there, man. Um, Annette's burrito was huge, fully loaded as well. A lot of rice. I'm a rice head. I could eat rice every day, all day. But research moment. I learned how rice can also can be very toxic, can be very dangerous. Rice has a high concentration of arsenic. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but you know arsenic is a naturally um, occurring compound that's natural in the earth. And rice is grown, you know, it's a, it's a plant-based, and it's through the earth, and it highly absorbent. It, it absorbs the concentration, whatever it's mixed in. So gravies and sauces and broths and water, anything that's a high concentration, rice will pick up that particular, I don't know, what do you call that? Particular item. I'll use item. So when rice is in water and there's arsenic in the water, what ends up happening? It, it's absorbed, dissolved into the rice. So I learned that rice is can be highly arsenic and you have to be careful with it, especially if you have leftover rice. You have to really make sure that when you have leftover rice, you reheat it because of the bacteria that can be formed within it. And the bacteria can then cause these spores and the spores can get into your system and can actually kill you. Believe it or not, they, they call it something. It's called something when predominantly college kids, that's how they learned about this. A lot of college kids would eat leftover Chinese food, rice-based, and because they didn't heat it up thoroughly, the bacteria that built up in that rice would end up killing you if your immune system was not very strong. Just thought I'd share you that, man. Remember those rice cakes when people were on that fad of, oh, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to cut back on my junk food, I'm going to eat these rice cakes... I learned them shits have arsenic in it too. Almost everything is arsenic in it. It can be dairy because cows eat the grass. And remember, arsenic is a naturally occurring compound in the earth. Chicken, um, some vegetables, anything that comes out of the earth has arsenic in it. You can't get around it. It's just a matter of how much of it that you eat determines how sick you can get from it. I just thought I'd share that, man, because again, I man, listen, I'll bang out some, some rice and beans and rice and bl black eyed peas with a quickness. But now I learned about the importance of making sure I heat it. If I'm going to have leftovers, especially make sure I heat it up properly to kill any bacteria that may be hanging around. Food was very good. We enjoyed our meal. I crushed my quesadilla. Annette, you know, she banged out. She did really well. She ate probably three quarters of that thing because that burrito of hers was huge. Didn't finish it, so she tapped out on that. We didn't do any desserts. We figured, nah, we're not going to do any desserts tonight. Guy came back and wanted to know, oh, how was that sangria? I said, yeah, you know, it was actually pretty good, which it was. Wasn't super strong. I know there's some alcohol content in it, but it wasn't super strong, but it was good. We didn't order any seconds of it, but, you know, it, it served its purpose for the drink of the night did ask us if we wanted to do a dessert. We said, no, we, we were at our limit. We took, got the check and we paid our check. And would I go back again? Definitely would go back again. Do I now understand the difference between authentic Mexican and Tex-Mex? I do. So the next time I go either to those guys or any other Mexican spot around here, I now can go in there knowing the differences between the two. So we leave and we figured... You know, we're going to go over here to Lark Street because as we were coming down, we saw 
this restaurant that we had checked out before the pandemic. It was called Villa de Como. Nice little Italian spot over there on um, Lark. So we go by and we said, let's go over there and see if we can have a cocktail. Let's go see what's up. We leave out. El Loco, we're walking over to Lark. And nice little night. Wasn't too bad. It was a little cold out, but not too bad. So we're walking, thinking, yeah, we're going to go have a drink. <laughs> we get to the door. And there's a sign on the door that says reservations only. And I was like, come on, man. Now, did I think there was any hidden agenda? No, I didn't think that. I really didn't. Because the guy, we had met him before. Super nice guy. Como is a, a, a town over in Italy. And that's where he was from. And Como right now is famous because that's where George Clooney lives. So the guy was telling us George Clooney stories. And, you know, he was a really cool dude. So I didn't think any type of thought when we got there and we saw that reservation only sign on the door. We just figured, you know, we'd give another try another night and, and see what's up. Or we'll make a reservation to make sure we get inside next time. I will end like I always do. When is when for you? When are you going to do something different? When are you going to try something that you say you're going to try but haven't done it yet? And it could be simple as eating something different. Anything like that. Just something that gets you out. Something that gets you out of that comfort zone. Gets you off that couch. Off that futon. Wherever you are. Just get out into the universe. Life is short. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Until next time. Thank you.